So what's going on? Aussie inflation is rising, there's no doubt about that, but nowhere near as much as most other places. The job market is expanding as though times have never been better. People are still applying for building permits. Whilst Germany, the European powerhouse that hasn't been in deficit for 31 years, suddenly is quite a bit in deficit. So Australia is faring better than most, but for how long? And can we still assume that there will be a big hike from the RBA today? Stay with us to find out. It's Tuesday, the 5th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, of course, U.S. equity and bond markets have been closed for Independence Day yesterday. Futures are down, though, for the U.S. equities, and we'll see how they open up later on today. Shares have been mixed in Europe this morning. The FTSE 100 closed 0.9% up. The DAX down 0.3%. The CAC Caront up 0.4%. Uh, big moves in uh, bond yields in Europe, up 10 basis points for 10-year uh, German 10-year bonds, uh, 11 for 10-year gilts in the U.K. Italian bond yields are up 16 basis points. That's 190 basis points higher higher than German 10 years. That spread is widening. We'll look at that today. Not much movement in the US dollar or in any major currencies really, except for the Aussie dollar, which is up 0.7% at 68.6 US cents. The Kiwi dollar is up a quarter percent. The Japanese yen down a third of 1%. And oil is rising up 2.1% for WTI, 1.7% for Brent, which is now midway between $113 and $114 a barrel. Some people would just call it $113.50, wouldn't they, if they're being economical with words. Uh, I spent enough on that, I think. Now, Tapas Strickland is with me this morning. So first off, Tapas, tell me about this. Aussie building permits yesterday up almost 10% month on month. 10%. So we've got interest rates rising, all this recession talk, but but let me just say that again, 10%. Why are p- permits still rising at a time like this? Good morning, Phil. A very good question. And that building approvals data has definitely been volatile. And at least the strength we did see uh, in the data yesterday was driven by the volatile apartment series. And when you think um, how many uh, dwellings are in an apartment block, um, you do get um, a lot of volatility within that data. So we tend to look at the detached dwelling sector as a smoother indicator for what's going on there and detached dwellings did fall and has been on a downward trajectory pretty much back to those kind of 2019 levels um so you can make um the very clear statement that the pipeline of new building activity is starting to slow but there's just a massive backlog at the moment uh, just given the home builder boost that we did see during the pandemic right so that's that's just going to feed through and uh, we're just a bit late with it all so then that gets me to my next question because we've got the the melbourne institute inflation gauge it was up 0.3 percent in june so 4.7 percent uh, year on year that's still comparatively low isn't it uh so i mean is it conceivable that australia is going to see inflation quite a bit lower than the us or europe but i mean by such a wide margin or again is it just a bit of a delay effect going on here? again with these second tier data, uh, data pieces they are inherently volatile so when you actually look at the quarter so when you add up all, all the months um according to the melbourne mm. institute measure Core inflation is up 1.4% Q on Q, and that's up from 1.1% in their survey uh, for Q1. So it does suggest there is a lot of inflation pressure in Australia at the moment and hasn't really dissipated um, to date. And we've been looking at uh, exactly um, or calibrating our models for Q2 CPI, given it's coming up soon, and we're getting numbers closer to the kind of 1.4 to 1.6 
mark on a Q&Q basis for the core trim mean measure, which would have annual trim mean inflation kind of hovering around that 5% level. So it does suggest we're in for another quarter of very hot inflation in, in Australia and basically just lagging the trends that we have seen um, off, offshore and lagging that by about six months. Which is quite a lot, isn't it, really, uh, when you know it's the same factors. I mean, it's the same supply chain problems from the same countries around the world. Okay, let me give you another one. The, the final set of numbers we had yesterday, a 1.4% increase in job ads. So more jobs, uh, inflation, you know, picking up slower than the rest of the world. Uh, So, you know, that's a surprise as well, isn't it? And if you get all of this together, because the expectation is that uh, we're going to see a 50 basis point hike from the RBA today. But I mean, if, if, if things are taking longer than expected in Australia, could they play a bit cooler? Um, we, we don't think so. The labour market in Australia is incredibly tight. As you noted there, job ads are up. Um, and another stat mm. that came out over the past couple of weeks was job vacancies. And there's currently only 1.1 unemployed persons per job ad in Australia, which is at a record low. Um, and so that does suggest the labour market is incredibly tight. And part of the reason is obviously the international border, the flows across the international border have been slower than expected. Expected to, to pick up there. So uh, at least according to our gauge of the economy, it definitely does need to see emergency settings of interest rates uh, come away and get closer towards more neutral levels. And so we expect a 50 basis point move. Markets are 88% price for that. And all economists are calling for at least a 50 basis point move. Right. There. But could we see if we see global inflation starting to slow and Australia's late to the party that we actually, you know, don't hit the peaks and so there's less need for the RBA to move quite as far, perhaps. I mean, and, and there's no indication that that would be the case. But I'm just wondering whether if we're slow to the party and, and globally we see inflation starts to, to ease off a bit, perhaps we'll, uh, we'll, we'll avoid the worst of it. Oh, definitely. And I, I think that argues towards uh, our view of interest rates getting to about 2.6% uh, by the middle of next year. Mm. And uh, you'd have to say, according to the RBA governor at least, that would be a more neutral setting of rates and not necessarily going into restrictive territory there. So we are expecting uh, inflation pressures to dissipate globally as you have that pivot away from the good sector um, and as yeah. potentially as that feed through to lower commodity prices comes through. Um, in terms of global inflation pressures, I was struck by a number of different articles in the Wall Street Journal this morning, and I just wanted to highlight yes. um, two of them. And the first one is um, just a report of the excess inventory that's piling up at large US retailers at the moment, and how those firms that um, sell pretty cheaply from those names are just buying up stock uh, and selling it in the in so the um, kitchen appliances, discounted- television sets, outdoor furniture, and apparel. That's the clothes that is to you and me. Um, oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. That's what they're trying definitely. to clear out. So you can get a good deal on all of those things right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, sadly, um, sadly, not, sadly not food or oil, though. No, no, sadly not. But um, there's just a few anecdotes of some of those off-price retailers there saying they're selling those brand name kind of washes and dries at 40% discount off the regular price. And that actually there's more excess merchandise now at US retailers than at any time in the past two decade. So that kind of puts into perspective the excess inventory story that's going on in the US. And the other one I just wanted to highlight is in terms of um, semiconductors and chips. A lot of the chip makers are now saying they're seeing muted uh, sales, um, and that's coming from the end consumer, mm. particularly around computers and, and uh, laptops well, that, and phones. Well, that's a bit more meaningful, isn't it? Because that means that demand is softening. The first one, when I was reading that, I was thinking, yeah, well, they've just obviously overordered because they're the sorts of things that we wanted when we were stuck at home. 
uh, and uh, now they're having to clear out because you know the, the, they've ordered too many of them. But computer chips, I mean, technology demand for technology is always going to be there, and if there's a, a, a lessening demand, then uh, that is a good infl- uh, you know sign that inflation is easing, isn't it? Oh, I, I think it's tied up with the excess inventory as well, like. I just reflect on my own personal experience during the pandemic. I purchased a few monitors to work from home and a new TV and all those kind of things. So uh, I think people just don't need to purchase those items again for a while. And so that's part of the rebalance away from goods. And maybe that does ease up on the prices on that side. But we're very cognizant of the food and energy price increases that we have seen, mainly stemming from Russia and Ukraine. So it's not clear whether inflation settles enough down to an appropriate level. To us, it's becoming clearer that inflation is likely to peak um, or uh, in the coming months, but it's very unclear exactly where inflation settles and whether that yeah. is consistent with central bank targets or not. Yeah, because of the food and, and energy. And, you know, we, we just need to look at the, the German numbers uh, from, from Monday. You know, that industrial powerhouse, uh, which, I mean, it moment, momentarily had a, a, a a trade deficit sometime in the early 90s, in 91, I think it was, and the late 70s before that. But yesterday, German trade figures, minus 1 billion euros, uh, presumably because imports are so expensive, because that's why they've gone into the into the red, because they've got such a, a big increase in imports. And presumably that is uh, is energy costs. Oh, definitely. They're running a huge trade deficit with uh, Russia and Norway at the moment, just reflecting uh, that big energy story. And on a 12-month basis, the value of imports is up almost 28% compared to um, 11.7% for exports there. So definitely coming from the import side there. But uh, I think a lot of people are underrating the potential risk here from Germany Mm. should the Russia-Ukraine crisis um, build further and Russia is tempted to slow gas flows into Germany even more, well, I think they're down would, by sixty percent already. Wouldn't he? Because he, I mean, yeah, because this is like a, a trade war as well as a military war. He'll be looking at these numbers and saying, "Wow, this is really hurting Germany." Just imagine how much more damage I can I can do. He's going to play the trade game to as, as far as he can, isn't he? I mean, he'd be he'd be nuts. Well, we know he's nuts, but he'd be nuts not not to. Well, that's the great fear in uh, Germany at the moment is that you do get a very large decrease in gas volume flows, and that has knock-on effect to the German manufacturing sector at a time when the global mm. economy isn't looking that crash hot. After all, in the Morning Call podcast, we've been talking about recession risk occurring in the US, UK, and, and Europe there. Uh, so uh, I think what's going on in Germany, what's going on in Europe is a little bit underrated, and it's also one of those reasons why US dollar strength may stick around for a little bit longer. It's hard to see the euro rallying in a meaningful way if you do have uh, this energy crisis going on in Europe and if German manufacturers are at the precipice in terms of the impacts on their business models just from extremely high gas prices. Well, there's no quick way out, is there? That's the problem. Uh, look, let's look at what's happening in, in the US because Joe Biden uh, is wanting to wi- uh, wind back on some of the tariffs on China. Um you know, even though China is buying cheap Russian oil, uh, they want to do more with them. Uh, so is that sort of a hope that that will bring prices down and calm inflation? Or is this just a political move? Because I wouldn't have thought uh, those tariffs are going to have too much of an impact on, on inflation because it's the, it's the supply. It's less the price. It's more the, uh, you know, or, or what's added to the price. It's the price that's determined by the shortages, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, so it, it may have a small impact on prices, and this is all in terms of balancing the political narrative of trying to get inflation mm. down, but also remaining pretty tough on China. And this has been floated quite a number of times by the US administration, but it hasn't really gone anywhere. And administration officials are pretty mixed on, on this. So you've got Treasury Secretary Yellen calling uh, that tariffs could uh, provide a little bit of help in curbing inflation. But then you've got the trade representative and national security advisors saying they need those tariffs in order to uh, get concessions from China. But in terms of their economic impact, um, I've seen some estimates that reducing them would take uh, about 0.3 percentage points off inflation. Um, but then um, further on, um, they could take around one percentage point off inflation. And I think at the moment, at least, um, President Biden, uh, just given how visceral uh, the talk around inflation is in the US at the moment, would take anything uh, in terms of mm. reduction in inflationary pressures there. Well, but I guess as I, as I said before, it's been floated many times before, so uh, we'll just have to wait um, and see whether that becomes more concrete or not. Politics at play, isn't it? They just want to be seen to be doing something. Actually, talking about politics as well, uh, I mentioned in the intro that, uh, that that big spread between German and Italian bonds. I mean, there's politics sitting behind that. So we've got Draghi and Giuseppe Conti, uh, the guy who lost government uh, early last year. They, they don't see eye to eye. They're meeting to talk things through, uh, but it could bring down the Draghi government. Well, you know, it's been, he's been, he's been government for a year and a half that's a long time and that's eons in, in italian politics uh, so uh, so there's a bit of unease about all of that happening today as well of course. Uh, definitely and when you look at the 10-year italian bond yield it's up 15 basis points to 3.24 percent and that spread to german woods is currently uh, hovering around that 191 um, basis points and also goes to some of the caution that a lot of ecb members have around this fragmentation tool or, or around the proposed fragmentation tool is how much does it reflect actual economic and fragmentation risk versus the proper pricing of political risk mm. um, especially in places like italy there and uh, you had a few ecb members out overnight just pouring a little bit of skepticism on that anti-fragmentation uh, tool and maybe that's behind some of the rise actually as well in the Italian 10-year year. Right. So they don't want to do that but they are more hawkish at the same time so uh, I mean can you do both? Can you be more hawkish without thinking about what the consequences are for those Southern European countries? Um, I don't think you can. Um, I think uh, at least from the debt servicing costs kind of measures, mm. um, Italy, it doesn't take too much of a rise in bond yields in order uh, for them to come under a fair bit of stress there. So that fragmentation tool will probably be, need to be used, but also will also have to be linked in with some pretty hefty structural reforms uh, as well to make those Southern European countries more comfortable in terms of a rising rate environment as, as well. And I think that's what a lot of the Northern Europeans are trying to get um, in the anti-fragmentation tool at the moment. Right, okay, very quickly, a couple of other things. Well, three things, actually. The RBA, we've mentioned it already, uh, we're saying 50 basis points. Have you got anything else? I mean, that's a, that's the NAB call, isn't it, for, for what's going to happen today? Have we got anything else to add on that? Uh, we expect the post-meeting statement to be fairly similar to last month and just basically saying the RBA wants to get away from those emergency rate settings. Uh, we see another 50 basis point rise in August and then uh, the RBA cash rate getting to around that 2.6% level. Right. And the Caging Services PMI for China, uh, it's been in contraction, but the, the official PMI for June went up, didn't it, to 54.7. I assume the same thing will happen here. Uh, but just how important is that? How important is a recovering Chinese service sector to the global economy? Oh, it's it's, it's very important, and particularly um, within the services sector, that includes uh, the construction sector as well. And so that's very important right. in terms of yeah. Australia there. Um, so uh, we'll be looking uh, quite closely, and it was quite good that the non-manufacturing 
official PMI lifted up to around that 54 level. And just looking at the market consensus here, it's currently sitting at 49.6. So you'd have to say uh, there's a bit of upside risk, at least to the Kaisen uh, services PMI. Right. And finally, uh, the what it's uh, how do you pronounce it? The NZEA, the, well, anyway, the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research. How do you pronounce that uh, acronym? Is it NZ, NZ? Anyway, we get their uh, business opinion survey, however you pronounce it. Um, last time, the retail sector was very downbeat. Businesses were cutting back on investment. It didn't look good. I'm assuming it's uh, it's not going to get a whole lot better. It's not looking good on the other side of the Tasman, is it? Uh, definitely not. And you'd have to say, according to that ANZ business survey last week, uh, that you'd have to see a very weak reading that NZIER survey. Um, and then the other one, just worth noting for New Zealand, at least our BNZ colleagues um, uh, looking at the prospect of recession in New Zealand in 2023, uh, just given um, the kind of dire states coming out of the business surveys and the consumer surveys at the moment. Right. Okay. Well, that's enough for now. Uh, good to talk. Tapas, we'll catch you again. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Phil. Worst acronym ever, isn't it? NZEA. Uh, you need something short and snappy, like NAB, for example. Uh, speaking of which, this has been the morning call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Have a great day.